we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. And welcome back to another adventure here live on Southern Sense. I'm your hostess with the least most is Annie, the Radio Chickadee, and my co-host Curtis C.S. Bennett seems to be having a little trouble connecting with us, so hopefully he'll be able to join us very soon. And for those looking to find Southern Sense on our webpage, it is going to be going up very shortly. Uh, it's about ready to launch, and hopefully we'll have everything up and running by Tuesday. And I've got my fingers crossed because I'm paying through the nose, folks. <laughs> anyway, we have a lot going on today, a lot to talk about. And, oh, my goodness, what I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be doing this coming week. Ah, you'll be giving me a lot of, like, <laughs> a lot of prayers. Uh, we got today our friend Mark Tapscott from the Epic or Epoch Times will be joining us. And there's a lot to talk about that with the Biden bri- the bribery uh investigation going forward it looks like subpoenas are going out there uh the left is responding with subpoenas against billionaire donors donors to uh, conservative causes um we've got mayor my, mayor uh Mayorkas, uh on the hot seat this uh last week uh with questionings about one of the employees with really some awful anti-Semitic comments and posts up on social networks, and she's still working for immigration services, uh, Trump gag orders. There's so much to talk about. And we also have Laura Reese with the Heritage Foundation. She's returning. Uh, you recall she is the uh, Director of Immigration and Border Security at Heritage Foundation. And uh, one of the things we'll be talking about is uh, House – Resolution number two, uh, the Secure the Borders Act. 
and uh, also be talking about Biden's $13.6 billion uh, border security funding request he's got with Congress. And oh my goodness, and now Senate has come up with its own um, budget for <laughs> this administration. But isn't that un- unconstitutional? You know, the funding for our government, according to the Constitution, must originate in the House, not the Senate. And there's a reason why there is that separation of powers. So there's no double dipping into the federal tax dollars. Uh, So this is going to be an interesting, interesting season coming up and a very interesting show to to be talking about. Uh, We also have now picked up from a friend of ours, the Ron Edwards Report. And while I'm waiting to see if Curtis can get himself tied in, uh, let's give one of the Ron Edwards reports going on right now. Even with the current level of tyrannical oppression against we the people, there are still millions of Americans who don't give a darn. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Noble brought to you by Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Sometimes I wonder if numerous misguided Americans don't care about the tragic unfolding of wicked government actions being waged against us because jackbooted government thugs aren't yet pounding on their front doors. Far too many today cannot seem to comprehend that government oppression does not start with gas chambers. It usually starts with one political party controlling the message, one party deciding what is truth, one party censoring speech and silencing political adversaries and locking up popular political opponents. One party dividing sovereign citizens into groups of us and them while calling on rabid supporters to harass them. Government oppression gets started and into high gear when good people and those who think they are good turn a non-caring blind eye and let it happen. If you see anybody in a restaurant, in a department store, I'm Ron Edwards. Bye now. All right, and we're back. We're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeart. Uh, Amazon Music, and half a dozen other places. And it looks like we do finally have my co-host who managed to get himself finally back in. Welcome, Curtis. Yes. How are you doing, CS? I finally got that straightened out. Can you hear me? <clears throat> yeah, we got you, baby. <laughs> You're not having too good a day, are you? <laughs> you with us, Curtis? And I seem to have lost Curtis. All right. Well, we'll just keep on going. Um, As I said, we've got ourselves some great guests lined up. But while we're waiting for Curtis to get himself back into the uh, system, I want to remind everyone that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Deputy Sheriff David Eastland County Sheriff's Department out of Texas. His end of watch was July 21st of 20. 23. And this is from Fox News. And it reads, a sheriff's deputy in Texas was fatally shot in the line of duty while responding to the report of a domestic fight. 
Deputy David Bozecker responded around 9 p.m. on Friday to a home on Highway 183 between Cisco and Rising Star in the Eastland County. Bozecker was first to arrive and immediately came under fire from the suspect. The deputy was struck and fatally wounded, according to the sheriff's office. Other responding deputies apprehended the suspect before anyone else was injured. The suspect, who was not named in the sheriff's press release, was booked into Stephens County Jail and charged with capital murder. Multiple law enforcement agencies in Texas expressed their condolences to Bozeka's family and friends on social media. Bozeka, a masterpiece officer, served for over 21 years in law enforcement. Eastland County Today reported, he began his career as a deputy in Wise County before moving to the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission. He later became a game warden for Texas Parks and Wildlife and an officer for the Comanche Police Department, according to the outlet. He also worked part-time as a maritime enforcement officer for the Cisco Department. And this is by Noah McKinney in Big Country Homepage. And he writes, The sudden death of Eastland County Sheriff's Deputy David Bozecker hit local communities first. Many residents at a loss for words as they tried offering comfort to those in mourning. It's just kind of a shock to the community. You don't think about stuff like that going on in small towns, said Sean McMorris of Rising Star. Deputy Bozecker was shot and fatally wounded upon arrival as the first on scene of a domestic disturbance call. The shooting took place near the small community of Romney, which sits between Rising Star and Cisco along Highway 183. Besides themselves, Neighbors voiced strong reactions in the few days after his passing. The guy that done the shooting needs to be held accountable, Elizabeth Lee, a neighbor, insisted. Another neighbor, Justin Lee, inserted, if I would have been there, I would have taken the bullet myself. Cisco business owner Ryan DeCook heard the news just a day after it happened. Like many others, he and his fellow communities sought out to do something to help, David shared to Cook. I looked at Cisco and the surrounding areas being a very peaceful area, and to learn of such a tragic event happened so close to us, it shook me up. De Cook, as co-owner of Red Gap Brewing Company in Cisco, where they hosted a fundraiser with live music as patrons came together to press, process the tragic events. We thought it was a good approach to allow the community to a place to grieve, to mourn, share stories, but also support Deputy Bozecker's family, he explained. Donations and half of all the brewery sales from that night have been promised to Deputy Bozecker's family to help ease the financial burden at this difficult time. We have experienced loss, and we know that, especially tragic loss when it happens as it did in Deputy Bozecker's case. We know that expenses can pile up. I mean, honor the fallen and live a life worthy of their sacrifice, added to Cook. And finally, KOXE. And it reads, David was born in Barrington, Texas on July 13, 1967. David served 21 years in law enforcement 
including Wise County Sheriff's Office, TABC, Texas Game Warden, Comanche Police Department, and was employed by Eastland County Sheriff's Office since 2021. He graduated high school in Midland, Texas, graduated from Tarlington University in Stephenville, Texas, served in the United States Marine Corps, and continued educating himself with hours of law enforcement training by school and field training. He truly went by the Marine and Law Enforcement Code and carried it out every day of his life after college until his last breath. David is survived by his beloved wife, Brenda Elton Bozecker, of 26 years, stepson John Tanner Edwards, and his wife, Gemini Edwards, four grandchildren, Lincoln, Henley Edwards, Brian Lynn, Eric Smith, his father, Christian Frederick Bozecker, his mother, Raymond J. Ferry, and his brother, Ted Bozecker, and his wife, Charlotte Bozecker. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Sheriff David Bozecker. It is also dedicated to all the brave, brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate them also to the men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our hopeful future. And we dedicate this with this song by Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. May God bless each and every one. Let it be said When we finish this race We kept them free we led with grace, let it be seen, and see the shining sea, beautiful America, living our legacy. Generation 
Foundation. Share back, listening to Southern Sense here live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, all the heck with it. Just keep on listening in wherever you're listening on, as well as Facebook and YouTube. Welcome back, Curtis. You had one hellacious day just trying to get in today, haven't you? I'm telling you, I tell you, this technology, it's not getting any simpler or any easier. It's more complicated. I'd rather deal with phone operators from the 60s and 70s with the switchboards than to deal with the internet. Uh, call, party call lines. Yeah, all those wonderful times we had. Uh, yes. Mark Tapscott will be joining us within about 10 minutes or so. He'll only be able to be with us for 15 minutes because things are heating up on the hill like crazy. And um, I know I mentioned this, and you weren't with us last week because Josh Perry sat in for you, and you were off making money on your book signings. I'm so jealous. (laughs) (laughs) And and spreading um, the word. I'm going to – yes, I will be heading up to Washington, D.C. Tuesday. I'm leaving early Tuesday uh, morning and coming back uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, I am being flown up courtesy of FAIR.org, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Um, There's a bunch of us that will be going up to D.C. to help them lobby for House Resolution Number 2, which is uh, Secure the Border Act. And this, this passed, House passed this in 20, I believe 2019, uh, I forget when they passed it, but it has been passed into law, but they haven't been funding it. And this last mm. uh, continuing resolution funded just certain parts of it. 
But, of course, the legislation as it's going through will be distorted and abused by this administration. So what we're trying to do is see if we can get the funding for the entire act and make sure it's used for what its intended purpose is. And we're going to be talking about HR2 with Laura Reese uh, because she is one of these people that's been fighting to get this fully funded. Um, and matter of fact, our friend Hannah Davis, who left Heritage Foundation, now works for FAIR. So that's why you haven't heard Hannah Davis on our show in the 330 okay. slot. Um, so that's why we, we, it's not that she fled us. It's not that she didn't want to talk to us anymore, okay. but she got a better offer over at FAIR.org. And she, I will finally get to meet her face-to-face uh, in D.C. Mm-hmm. So she's one of these people that's working with us. I'm hoping that I get to see Mark. Um, I had left him a message earlier. Um, So whatever he is, he's up to his eyeballs and something, whatever's going on at the Hill. And I'm telling you, it's it's a three-ring circus over there. So I'm going to have a blast, and uh, I'm going to be exhausted. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, while you're up there, while you're up there, get the ear of the new Speaker of the House and tell him to fully fund this. Yeah. Well, I already reached out. Nancy Mace is my congresswoman, and I had to run to a doctor appointment in Charleston. And on the way back, um, her office is only about, what, 10 miles away from my house, if that. Uh, I have to pass her office on the way back. So I figured I'm a block away as I'm coming around. I said, let me stop in. And I stopped in and said hi. Um, I didn't meet, see the person I normally talk to, Lisa. Uh, she must have been in the back or whatever, but I saw one of the new girls they had there, so I introduced myself, told her what was going on. And uh, then after that, I came home, and I had gotten um, an email from Alan Wilson, who is our state attorney general, who is the son of Congressman Joe Wilson. And I said, you know, I better call Daddy. Hmm. <laughs> so I called over oh, yeah. to Joe Wilson's office, oh, and I said, you know, he he knows me, you know, since he was my congressman, and he was with us when we formed our Tea Party back in 2009. So I've known him for a long time. So I made sure I left a message with his office that I'd be heading up there, and I'd like to stop and say mm-hmm. hi to him and told him why I was going up. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting, and I have a lot of stories to tell when I get back. So. Well, say hello and goodbye to Representative Buck, who decided that um... – the Republican oh, Party he's not is running not... for re-election. Yeah, tell him <laughs> good riddance because, I mean, he's saying that we're lying about the 2020 election, that we're, we're saying that it was stolen, and that's a lie, and he needs to go. I mean, after all the evidence yeah. and, and things, and he still believes that it was that Joe won fair and square, he needs to go. Yeah, Ken Buck, who we had such hopes for, um, uh, here we go. I had pulled out the article about that because uh, he was from uh, Colorado, Ken Buck. And uh, he just wasn't very happy uh, with President Trump. and He's actively worked against him. And he announced he's retiring at the end of his term in 2024. So we still have another year of him until he officially retires. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, Colorado Republican Ken Buck won't run for re-election in 2024. They made this announcement on Wednesday. Archie, and another one bites. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, where what planet was this guy living on? 
Does he ever watch the Nesta <laughs> Souza's films or or just look at, you know, the evidence? I mean, it never went to the courts because all of the courts refused to hear this. Doing that, they they love to say that, you know, it's a lie. It never happened. It was never proven. Well, how could it? None mm-hmm. of us ever went to court. Even the Supreme Court turned it down, which is, you know, pretty you know, sad. And, and, you know, um, they should be looking out for the interest, interest of our country and our institutions. Now, I, I have to tease my mind because there was an election that was just recently overturned. Um, I got to key this in, um, overturned by the court. Uh, I heard this in the news yesterday. Um, Yes, here it is. In Connecticut, lo and behold, a liberal state, Connecticut, a judge has overturned uh, the results of Bridgeport's Democratic mayoral primary, ordering a new election. Yeah. Uh, Allegations of absentee vote ballot abuse. Go figure. Absentee ballot meaning fraud, stuffing the ballot box. Um, there, there's reports coming in in Colorado, uh, Arizona, uh, Florida. Uh, there are there are reports coming in of actually finding true ballot tampering. And finally, finally, we have the first step. A judge is, and this is unheard of, to absolutely overturn election. A judge doing this. Not the election committee, not the state legislature, not the governor, but a judge saying, listen, there is obvious evidence of this, and at this point, it's possible malfeasance, and he threw out the results of the September 12th primary. And the mayor, Ganim, won by 251 votes, cast out of 8,173, a slim 251 vote. Well, actually, when you think about that statistically, that's that's a pretty large chunk. So if hmm. it was ballot tampering, imagine how many ballots were tampered with to give him that lead. Now, that, that I'm wondering, I say. he's been getting paid, so I wonder if he has to um, <laughs> reimburse who, whoever he works for, the city <laughs> or whatever, for his paycheck, since he's not legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, we also have uh, – this is something I want to turn around and, 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 and talk to uh, Mark, about. Mark Tapscott about. Yeah, because Mitch McConnell, um, he's – the Senate Democrats uh, under Dick German plan to subpoena conservative donors. Uh, these are billionaires, Harlan Crow and Robin Arkley II. And the Federalist Society leader, Leonard Leo, um, he's targeting private citizens with no legislative purpose, asking them um, to report on their donations. I'm sorry. These are private individuals. And what they're doing is they're looking to see um, donations that were uh, not – well, not donations, actually. Um, certain real estate deals and other personal interactions between private citizens and what turns out to be members of the Supreme Court. 
Clarence Thomas being one of them. Um, there were allegations that uh, Crow had treated Thomas to a luxury vacation for more than 20 years. Uh, I'm sorry, you're Supreme Court justice and you can't have friends? And if a friend says, come on over and join me for a vacation, uh, you're looking to influence Supreme Court justice? And at no time has any of these individuals have a court case to go before the Supreme Court where the justices may be influenced, in which case you would assume ethics would play a, a part and they would recuse themselves from any determination in the case or any influencing on the case. You know, they are going to try to do anything and everything if you are a conservative or if you're someone who believes Donald Trump is a worthy candidate to run for president once again, if you happen to be someone who supports Donald Trump, uh, I'm sorry, you are a terrorist, you're someone to be investigated, uh, they're doing anything and everything to silence your voice and mine. And what better way than to take these gentlemen who are very prominent in society and use them as an example for someone, a small peon like you and I. And if we get well, cowed because they can do this to billionaires, what would they do to someone like you and I without the financial resources to fight them? Yeah, it's all an intimidation game with them. Um, they want to strike fear into anyone who dare cross them. And as far as looking into their private um, concerns, they set out with a crime, and then they want to go and find supporting evidence. And it's not supposed to be that way. The evidence is supposed to lead you to a crime or something. And um, this is all the more reason why I think the, the nation is turning against the left. Even Democrats are starting to uh, see the light and, and, and know that there's some, some things that are not right about what's going on in this country as far as the southern border and even how they are going after Trump. You know, on whole, Americans love an underdog. And when the full force of the, the government comes down on one person, I think they kind of sympathize with that. You know, they say to themselves, I believe, there must be a, a reason why they are afraid of this person for them to go this far out. And it's so obvious that they're going out their way to um, bury this man figuratively, you know, Nine, well, six to nine feet well, we, the have, we have the we have the perfect person to ask that question with so we want to welcome back to the show for his bi-monthly visit to us mark tapscott from the epoch times good afternoon mark and how are you doing today i am great Ann curtis how are you guys all right all right. All right. Uh, we were talking. We were talking about what's going on between Mitch McConnell and Turbin Durbin. I mean, Senator Dick Durbin, uh, with these subpoenas against these billionaire uh, donors, Harlan Crow, Robin Arkley the second, and Leonard Leo of the Federal Society. Turbin Durbin right. wants to subpoena them about their involvement <laughs> with the Supreme Court justices. And these gentlemen are fighting it. Uh, what is your perspective and what is going on, on you, that you're seeing? 
Well, it's just another uh, development in the uh, congressional Democrats' campaign, if you will, to um, force in some way Supreme Court Justice uh, Clarence Thomas to uh, resign, to leave the court. They are uh, doing everything they can to uh, expose in their mind um, what they view to be um, unethical practices by the justice. Um, obviously, there's <clears throat> I, I don't see any basis whatever for uh, any conclusion that anything that Thomas has done um, is improper. Um, it certainly has there's certainly no evidence that it's resulted in his changing his uh, vote on a on a case. But it's going to get a lot of publicity because you know there is a six three majority conservative majority. Some of the time, most of the time, you can count on a five four conservative majority. Uh, on the court, and Democrats want to do something to change that. So this is just one of a number of initiatives that we will see from them uh, in that regard. (laughs) It's amazing how hard the left is now going after us. And heaven forbid you say the word MAGA, you say conservative, you say faith, you say Bible, you say God. Uh, I'm sorry. They're now <laughs> making it sound like the new Speaker of the House, Johnson, is an absolute whack job, a member of a terrorist organization, because he said that in his, his uh, acceptance speech that we have a purpose in life, that God placed us in this place at this time for a purpose, and all of a sudden he's being vilified across all of the mainstream media. He's a complete whack job. He's nuts. He's crazy. you got to get rid of him. It's, it's insane. Are, Annie, are you surprised? <laughs> I don't think anybody is surprised by that. I, I, I frankly, I have to, I have to say when – uh, as I was watching Johnson deliver that uh, first address that he gave uh, after being elected uh, Speaker of the House, I was quite surprised that he um, said what he did, quoting um, the uh, Daniel 2.21, where um, Scripture says that the Lord raises up um, and, and deposes kings and other leaders. And you know, Johnson looked right at everybody in the in the Congress, Democrats and Republicans, and said, "Guys, you know, we're not here because of what we did. We're here because the Lord has a purpose for us." And <clears throat> I I I was elated when he said that because, frankly, it's um, yet another reminder to these guys that um, you know they they need to show some humility. Um, they're they're not kings; they're representatives. Exactly, exactly. And and he he pointed out Hakeem's Jeffries specifically in his speech. And you know, when I looked at his face, I didn't see something vicious, as if he was saying something mean, evil. Oh, I, it's my turn now. It's my turn to get back at you guys for all the trouble you caused. He, he there was love in his face, <clears throat> and it, it, it just was something that was just different. If you know body language, if you know how to read body language, there was nothing mean or vindictive about what he was saying. There was just pure love in it. 
And yeah. I, that's I, why I, I, tell you, I, I, I am, maybe that's why I'm taken back by how much they hate. But then again, evil hates goodness, so it must destroy it. Yeah, I, I, I don't expect this kind of slamming um, uh, <clears throat> of Johnson to, to go on much longer because, frankly, um, at least in my experience, the more you know about Mike Johnson. Uh, and I'm not claiming to, you know, be a great close personal friend. I'm not. I just cover him as a journalist. But from what I have observed and what I have been told by people who do know him well uh, and who do have regular contact with the man, um, he is a very gracious, open person, if you will. He clearly is a man of faith. That's that's central to everything about the man. Um, and because of that, I think he um, – I mean, good Lord, the man has friends on both sides of the aisle that he prays with and and prays uh, – knows about their family situations, their personal situations, uh, and tries to be a, um, you know, a really positive, genuine friend to them. And that kind of uh, openness to uh, people with different viewpoints provides a tremendous contrast with the uh, increasing intolerance of the left for anybody and any idea that uh, is not consistent with their their idea of the way things ought to be. And maybe that's why they hate him so much because he is so damn likable. Uh, they they can't do a Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think they're going to have to come up with a different way to to uh, to go after Johnson. I could be wrong, but I but I I really think we're going to see uh, an interesting um, development in congressional relations in in coming months because I think maybe Mike Johnson might be the guy to. Um, lower the temperature, if you will, and and encourage a, a rediscovery of the kind of um, comedy that used to be. When I first came to Washington in 1976, there still was a, a great culture of comedy between Democrats and Republicans. You know, you gave each other respect, and uh, you treated mm-hmm. each other with respect. And maybe maybe we're going to be able to get back to that. Well, you know, I, the last broadcast we did last week, I asked, is Mike Johnson our modern-day Tip O'Neill? I think he's um, – <clears throat> Tip O'Neill was very much um, – he was the speaker when I first came up here. Um, he was the classic old-school Democrat congressman, and for that reason, he – Generally speaking, treated you know Democrats and Republicans pretty much alike. Um, he had very different reasons for that than Mike Johnson does, uh, I suspect. But but I think that that's an interesting and probably very applicable in some respects uh, analogy. Um, Tip O'Neill had been in Congress for a long time, of course. Johnson is only in his fourth term. Um, so there's that, but that might also be an indication that Mike Johnson may be around for a long time. Mm. Mark, we'll see. If yeah. the if the Bidens get subpoenaed and there are indictments that may be forthcoming, 
Do you not think the Democrats in Congress will circle the wagons around him? Or will they leave him out to dry because they know they can't win with Biden in 2024? I, Curtis, that's a great question. And I, I have I have been of the view for some time now that at a certain point in the next, I don't know, three, four, five months, Democrats are going to – and you already see whispers of this, and it's, they're not simply whispers. There's other people talking even more uh, openly about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have Dean Phillips announcing his candidacy. Um, but Biden is – he's probably the weakest incumbent president that we have seen in our lifetime. I mean he is weaker in many respects than Jimmy Carter was in 1980. And Democrats, you know, they they don't want the they don't want to go into an election with with a guy that, in every possible apparent indicator, is going to be a loser. And they will do something about that. Uh, how exactly they'll do it, who knows? But but I I will be amazed if Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee um, on the ballot come November of 2024. Think that it's possible then that Kennedy may also try to get his name on both independent and Democratic ballots. It's possible. I, frankly, I think the um, the legal uh, roadblocks to that are such that it's probably not feasible to think in those terms. But you never know. And you know, Kennedy all of a sudden has been showing some some surprising support. Um, I forget whose poll it is, but yesterday. Uh, he actually was um, ahead of Biden and Trump with independence in one of one of the uh, credible polls. If that's the case, my goodness, man, we we could have a genuine three-way race come November of 24. Oh, the whole thing is is that he's a Kennedy in the old school Kennedy, where you know Kennedy today would probably be a Republican if yeah. if. He was alive. Um, well, and I, I that could you, take Andy, a lot I, of people that are middle of the road and just go for him. Well, that's true. He certainly has that image. <clears throat> I don't know that he really is uh, as um, – I'm not sure if we can take this Kennedy back to 1963 with JFK that they would, I, they would, they would be very similar in terms of their positions. I suspect – the Kennedy that we know today is probably much more liberal than JFK was. But I agree. We don't know. I agree. Yeah. He's, he clearly but, he clearly is a potentially very strong alternative uh, to Joe Biden. And I pet rock is a good alternative to Joe Biden. <laughs> Annie. <laughs> Well, if there is a three-way race between, um, say, like um, the three Trump and Kennedy and Biden, wouldn't that hurt the Democrats? Kennedy. I think um, it would. It would hurt. I think it would hurt Trump and the and the Democrats because. Yeah, I think it hurts both sides. uh, Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the um, the the votes that Kennedy would draw would be people who. in the absence of RFK, would be inclined, I think, to vote for Trump. And I, I, frankly, I think Kennedy 
might hurt Trump a little more than he would um, Biden, but but we don't know. You know, Ross Ross Perot kept George Bush, George H. W. Bush, from being reelected. That was clear. He put Bill Clinton in the White House. Um, I I see RFK being stronger than um, than Ross Perot was. Yeah, he doesn't have a little whiteboard. <laughs> Remember the whiteboard? <laughs> Let me yes, show, show you a chart. <laughs> that's true. <clears throat> oh, RFK geez. is probably, probably, the, probably the perfect guy for uh, the increasing number of Americans who just don't trust anybody in government. Democrats, Republicans, nobody. And they don't trust professionals um, in in so many of our institutions and uh, for that reason he he is he is potentially very strong now here's a, a curious question with the election of uh, Mike Johnson as speaker um, I think Romney started the tidal wave but are you seeing now a lot of people uh, like Ken Buck, who are not going to run for re-election because they think that the current speaker will hold too much power of sway to get more conservatives into uh, Congress and possibly even influence the Senate. I, Ken Buck is a mystery to me. You know, he was elected uh, as part of the Tea Party movement back in uh, mm-hmm. 2010 and 2012. Um, he had an unsuccessful Senate race, but. It was a very close one that he uh, – and some people think he should have won. Uh, but then he got himself elected to the House, and he's been reelected. And I don't – I don't – I'm not aware of any reason to think that he's uh, in trouble with his with his constituents back back in Colorado, but who knows? And he was in the Freedom Caucus. Uh, he was in the Freedom Caucus, yeah. But in the last, I don't know, year or so, he's kind of – began to give some signs of uh, um, coming to some, some some odd conclusions that one would not expect from a Tea Party guy. Um, and it, mm. To me, frankly, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that he's just tired of the whole thing, and and I wouldn't believe well, that was the case. That's possible because he, he was part of that wave. It was Ken Buck, Scott Brown, and what a disappointment Scott Brown was. And he really did ride the tidal wave of the Tea Party. And I remember Twitter yes. being just blown up and getting donations for Scott Brown. Uh, yeah. There was a lot of people that our movement brought into power, literally into power. Uh, but how disillusioned we have become. And what they don't realize, we're still around. Uh, we may be yeah. calling ourselves different names. I actually still have a tea party, still run it every oh, yeah. month. But there are yeah. still of us that are still faithful, and we're gonna whatever name you want to call us. Don't don't knock us down. You know, we're either MAGA, we're Tea Party, we're nine eleven. You want to call us nine twelve? Whatever you want to call us, we're still here. We're still fighting, yeah. and I don't think they yeah. realize that. I, I think the assumption is, well, the Tea Party movement has been killed and gone. That doesn't mean the people that were behind it are still are, are no longer effectual. Oh, I'm not at all. I, I can I can think of many, many, many people who came into politics in Washington as a result of the Tea Party movement that are still here and still very much Tea Party people, and 
they certainly are uh, uh, in more positions of power and influence today uh, as a result mm-hmm. of the party movement. So, you know, you just Mark. reminded me of something. Yeah, Curtis, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Say what you're going to say about being reminded. Because I was just going to ask, do you think we're going to end up in World War III with this Israeli thing? Uh, no, I don't. But but what I was going to say is is Annie just reminded me of something that um, Annie, you may recall a man M. Stanton Evans, who was uh, a conservative intellectual leader type newsman back in the 70s and 80s, and he always said um, the problem with the Republican Party is that when one of our people gets elected. He ceases to be one of our people, <laughs> and that kind of is applicable to some folks like maybe Ken Buck. So, so anyway, no, I don't think we will, um, Curtis, and the reason I don't is because um, I don't think even Joe Biden can allow Iran to keep doing the things that they're doing, and they're going to have to respond to it. And when they do, I think Iran will back down. Now, I, I pray that you are right. I really do pray. You know, when you mentioned uh, Evans and his statement, it reminded me of uh, Nancy Mace. Uh, she was not <laughs> this district's first choice, and it is this district uh, that I'm in that that, that uh, <laughs> unfortunately elected her. Um, but she had this couple of moments were like major brain farts where she was looking to legalize marijuana and a couple of other crazy things. And, oh, man, did we flood her office. Now, all of a sudden, she's going back to ultra-conservative. And so, yeah, we, we do have a voice and influence, and uh, we're going to keep her feet to the fire. And I think maybe yeah. that's the problem Ken Buck had. I think maybe his feet may have been put to the fire, and he just wasn't happy with the, the feedback he was getting from those of us that helped elect him. Yeah, that that may well be. If, if it was, well, I wanted, it's not the first time it happened. <clears throat> no, no, it won't be. Uh, but I wanted because you mentioned uh, Biden with Iran and World War Three. It was something very unusual to happen this week. Uh, Biden went down to Santo Domingo, and it was toted as this whole big meeting of the Americas. But the president of Santo Domingo kind of like gave him a backhanded slap in his public appearance, something to the fact that we're going to, you're going to return here for another meeting, blah, blah, blah. And you'll have, Oh my goodness, time on the beach. The social network just blew up with that. And I was reading the post and some of them were hysterical, but some of them were just too damn true that he spent 40% more time than any previous president on time off time on the beach than any previous president Oh my goodness! It went crazy. Yeah, you know it's 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 unfortunate that that kind of thing happens um, because we are talking about the president of the United States, and Lord knows if there's anybody that uh, ought to command respect on the world stage, it's the president of the United States, and I mean that the office, not the particular individual who's in that office at this moment. Um, It's embarrassing. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know what the the specific um, 
percentages are, but I know that that, that Biden has certainly spent much more time uh, back home resting, et cetera, et cetera, on the beach, et cetera, um, than any president in my lifetime. And, you know, being in Rehoboth well, you know, while Israel is, is fighting off Hamas, that's 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 there's just that does not look right because it's not right. No, no, it doesn't. And matter of fact, he's supposed to be up in Maine to visit the site of the massacre of the eighteen unfortunate souls. And yeah. as I'm listening to the broadcast, and he's going to have time for the beach. I'm going really, really. I hope the beach at yeah. this point of the year has a ton of snow on it. Let's see him sit in his shorts and sunning in the beach. Well, the, the, the I can, I can guarantee you. Here in the south, I'm sitting north. Having spent some time on Rova's Beach, I can tell you it's not it, it's it's not warm enough to be on the beach this weekend in October <laughs> or in November. Well, I lived in Massachusetts, which is slightly south of Maine, so I know it's a heck of a lot colder. <laughs> Maine yeah. than it is in Massachusetts, much less D.C. or even South Carolina. And we're going to hit the 30s tonight here in South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, bring it Same snow here. early Same Christmas. Here. Same here. Oh, man. Well, I know you've got to leave in a few moments. Um, the one last thing, this stuff is heating up between Hunter Biden and the bribery and the Biden family. Are we going to finally see some subpoenas? And is Johnson going to move forward with uh, actual looking into impeachment of Biden? I, I can tell you this. Um, based on what he has said so far, he's made it very clear that um, – if, if you follow what Comer has done from the very beginning, he has been very, very methodical about taking the development of the evidence on a step-by-step-by-step-by-step basis. And they are now going through the actual bank records, and the $40,000 check that they uh, made public this, this week, I, I am very confident is just the beginning of – uh, a whole bunch of stuff like that, and at a certain point, um, they're going to have more than enough evidence to justify beginning to issue some subpoenas to Bidens, Hunter Biden, James Biden, etc. Um, this this is going to get much more serious before it gets resolved. Yeah, it seems that one of their Burisma executives was complaining that it cost $5 million to pay off one Biden and another $5 million to pay off another Biden. Like I said, it's it's heating up. It's not just $40,000. we are talking about millions upon millions of dollars that went into this yeah. family, and not just between yeah. Hunter and, and Joe Biden, but whoa. Yeah, yeah. Comer, Comer said, I believe – uh, today's Friday. I think on Wednesday he indicated that uh, the total amount of money that, that they estimate based on what they've seen so far going into the Bidens from foreign sources is in excess of $50 million. So it's going to get serious. 
Oh, man, it is going to get serious. Um, I sent you a text earlier, so if you want, you know, take a look at it. Um, but I mentioned to you that uh, I'm going to be up in D.C. Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to yes, be walking the halls of Congress with FAIR.org. And there's an invite yeah. in that little uh, uh, text I sent you. So we'll talk later off air because um, the okay. individual is very interested in uh, your participation. <laughs> well, I I have not read that text yet, but uh, if you're coming up to be in the halls of Congress, uh, Annie, um, I'll, I better warn them that you're coming. Well, I recall Joe Wilson's office and Nancy. I walked into Nancy Mace's office yesterday. <laughs> so, there you go. Here comes Annie. <laughs> well, I hope you got your house all repaired because I know that at one point you couldn't talk with us because your house was under uh, construction. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we did. We got I don't hear any hammers it. banging. Yeah, it's it's all it's all taken care of now. Well, God bless your wife for putting up with your your time you spend with us every other week. But I hope I will run into you uh, on Tuesday. I'm pretty confident that you will, Annie. I will see you there. Okay. God bless, Mark. And see you next week. Check out Mark Tapscott, the Epoch Times, theepochtimes.com. Mark, God bless, and see you soon. All right. Uh, Bob Curtis is calling in to our, our next guest. Um I, what the heck am I going to be doing here? Oh, just just a little side note. This is something I came across. Uh, gruesome Newsom, Gavin Newsom, governor of, of uh, California, uh, has now said that uh, there's – I, I, I'm trying to get this article here. Uh, California gun control makes it harder to fight back against Hamas-like terrorism. It was an article that was written by John Seeler. Uh, in uh, the the Epic Times, uh, but Newsom has now branded certain weapons as weapons of war, and um, Judge Benitz had struck down last month a California gun control law as unconstitutional. Uh, but the uh, Newsom attacked it and saying it was weapons of war, and he is trying now to say that weapons have war no place on California streets. This has been state law in California for decades, and we will continue to fight for our authority to keep our citizens safe from firearms that cause mass casualties. Uh, in the meantime, assault weapons remain unlawful for purchase, transfer, or possession in California. Uh, I'm sorry. Anything can be a weapon of war, a hammer a club, a baseball bat. Anything can be considered a weapon of war. Anything. So saying that firearms can be a weapon of war when they can be a weapon of defense or for hunting or for sports. But still, they have it in this head that to disarm Americans, the best way is to say they're weapons of war, they're assault weapons, they're weapons of mass casualties, and then deprive us of our Second Amendment uh, rights. Uh, Curtis, it looks like you're having problems getting a hold of our guest. That's correct. I just get her voice message, so I left our number for her to call in once she gets my message. Okay. I called her twice. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens here. If, see if I can send a little message to uh, Corinne. 
and see if Corinne can uh, uh, see if Corinne can get a hold of her. Um, okay, I'm just sending her a message. Just just bear with me, Chris. I was talking about California trying to ban any sale of firearms they deem weapons of war or weapons of assault. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy out there. You want to comment? Yes, I would. I don't know. It seems like not just California, but a lot of uh, states and urban cities run by Democrats have little regard for our Constitution, which includes our Bill of Rights. And they see firearms as the problem and not the gun owners. And I think there's a reason for that because I think actually they want to get rid of the Second Amendment. And since they cannot do that outright, they are doing it incrementally, um, weapon by weapon, if necessary, I believe, until we, I mean, we wouldn't be able to own a a water pistol. But um, I don't think it's going to work, and the reason for that is we do have gun owners from both sides of the aisle, and no no gun owner wants the government to completely ban um, their weapons, and, and there's many reasons for that. Um, we have people who would like to have guns for self-defense. We have some that is just for sport, and then we have others they like to go hunting. So I, I really well, think they will have a very difficult time trying to get rid of our Second Amendment. Well, first we do have our guest is on the line. I want to welcome back to the show Laura Reese of the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon, Laura. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. Yeah, we just got off the the line with uh, Mark Tapscott, um, but uh, I don't know if uh, Corinne told you that I will be up in D.C. Tuesday and Wednesday along with FAIR.org, and guess what we're going to be talking to Congress about, members of Congress. Guess what? H.R. 2. What's H.R. 2, Laura? So H.R. 2 is the Secure the Border Act. It's a legislation that the House of Representatives passed this May, and it is a remarkable bill um, that would truly stop the flow of illegal immigration because it prevents the asylum fraud that runs rampant among uh, asylum applications. It would require uh, the Remain in Mexico program be utilized. It would require uh, detention of illegal aliens. And it would uh, close some loopholes regarding um, catch and release, as well as the treatment of unaccompanied alien children. Uh, among other things. It also includes mandatory E-Verify, employment verification, which is a useful tool to prevent unauthorized work. So it's uh, sadly been collecting dust on the Senate side. And, um, yeah, we really need it to change the course of the mass illegal migration we are experiencing right now. Well, you know, Biden said, well, you know, we don't have to fund the whole thing. So he puts forward a $13.6 billion border security funding request. This doesn't look anything close to H.R. 2, does it? Tell me the similarities that I missed. 
No. You hear the so sarcasm? This, what, what, what Biden is requesting is more of the same. He wants more money to bring in more illegal aliens even faster. Um, it is a processing enterprise, and that is what the former Border Patrol chief called that, uh, what they've been doing under the Biden administration. Uh, he testified to that under oath. And it is just in not deporting them, not um, using expedited removal. And so any dollar given, additional dollar given to the White House is just going to be for more processing and to enrich the non-governmental organizations, including the faith-based organizations that this administration leans on to carry all of this out. And um, so Congress does not need to fall and should not fall into that border security trap. The White House is trying to spin it as, oh, Republicans are against border security and, and funding more agents and technology. No, uh, all, all any more money would do is uh, result in more border insecurity. So we need the policy changes of HR2 to prevent future flow of illegal aliens, and Congress needs to direct money to CBP and to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, um, not to say here's a, a pot of money, but expressly state you have to secure the borders, you have to seal the borders, you have to ICE, go find the national security threats who are now in the U.S. and detain them before we have a terrorist attack. You know, there's, there's so much in this bill, and um, I, I was going through it. And not believe me, I'm doing the speed reading version of it. And one of the first things in that I saw was to build the wall. And they're saying you have to go back to what was done back in January 2021. And not only just 700, go to 900 miles of border and then use technology. Now, Biden's saying, well, forget, I agree in technology, he's saying, but his version of technology is not the same as what HR2 is saying. We want to do something closer to what Israel does, where we're using drones, uh, we're using flights, we're using ground sensors, uh, we're searching for underground tunnels, we're going to be building stuff that can do what the wall may not completely be able to do. But Biden wants to say, no, 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 we're going to do this for uh, more electronic processing to get people through faster. That's not what the bill is about, though. The bill is about security. HR2 is about true security, right. And, and if you ask a Border Patrol agent what do they need, they always say three things. We need personnel, technology, and infrastructure. And that infrastructure, I'm talking between the ports now because that's where Border Patrol operates. Infrastructure is a border wall system. It includes not just the physical wall, but also access roads, lights, sensors, and other technology. Um, and so HR2 says, okay, administration, you need to go finish the job as to the money we gave you previously uh, and complete it. When Biden talks about technology, he ignores between the ports, and he just looks at, at the ports of entry and um, – Ask for money for more non-intrusive inspections, which is uh, equipment that um, scans 18-wheeler trucks and, and cars and, and other types of vehicles. Good stuff, certainly needed, um, but that's 
really all Biden is looking to add. So he's just kind of throwing a bone to say, yeah, I'm for security. Here's some technology. Um, but that is woefully inadequate uh, for what the agents need. You know, it's something as simple as a two-way radio. And that's included in the bill because some of these agents don't even have a way to communicate with fellow agents or control or anyone else. A simple two-way radio has to be put into legislation because no one thinks it's necessary to secure the border if the agent is able to communicate. I mean, <laughs> this is this is what gets down to the nuts and bolts, but it has to because everyone else ignores what has to be done. Yeah, that's right. I mean, agents need a lot of equipment, and we can't also forget about the interior. Um, ICE needs a lot of resources to fully enforce the law. And unfortunately, not only has the Biden administration told ICE not to investigate, arrest, detain, deport, or prosecute most illegal aliens, um, the administration has gone even farther and turned ICE into a social service, uh, you know, just one more, social services agency. Um, it is run by radicals who abhor immigration detention and deportation. And so instead, they're using taxpayer dollars to pay even more of their radical friend NGOs to provide <laughs> social services, all sorts of benefits uh, to illegal aliens. So um, well, they're turning it upside about that down. Because it cuts the funding off. It cuts the funding to the NGOs. And if anyone wants to know what an NGO is, uh, believe it or not, it could be something like the Catholic bishops. Uh, there's a lot of religious organizations that found a honeypot in processing these illegal aliens. There's, it's thousands upon thousands of dollars per body that they get to process. And then they use it for uh, giving them uh, 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 housing, food, shelter, whatever. But the NGOs get their cut of this, too. So instead of saying you can't facilitate, the NGOs can't just facilitate these coming across illegally, but they can't give them the services once they're here. So it cuts off all of that funding. And I don't think it's ever going to put the NGOs out of business, but I think it's going to pare down a lot of them that are out there, don't you think? Yes, and that the day that that was considered, uh, this particular provision of, of no funds should go to NGOs to carry this out, I think the debate went on for that single issue for an entire day and late into the evening. That is how hard the left and the NGOs and all of their lobbyists pushed and argued they said if it, you know with this language we wouldn't be able to give a poor migrant a sandwich i mean it was just the most ridiculous arguments in their efforts to protect their now multi-billion dollar industrial complex that has built up around unaccompanied children illegal migration and, and really weaponization of mass migration well, you know, there's other things in there that I loved because they're talking about the federal DNA and biometric uh, collection. But in here that the CPP must, within seven days of the bill's enactment, certify to Congress that CPP has real-time access to, drumroll, criminal history databases. And how many third-world countries are able to maintain that, that we can access? Boom, that just cut a whole segment of illegal aliens from entry into the United States, don't you think? Yeah, it's critical. I mean, 
it seems like each day just this week we're getting news of someone who either CBP released uh, into the U.S. because they didn't hit upon foreign adverse data, and then, oops, turns out he's, you know, a form aggravated or convicted murderer or a terror threat, and now ICE has to scramble and go find this person, and two weeks later, you know, finds them and arrests them. So, um while can run their fingerprints while the alien is before them against U.S. databases, either criminal or immigration history, it takes longer to get information with a country um, if that country, you know, collects and is willing to share some such data. And, of course, many countries aren't willing to do so. So the Biden administration says, oh, we're, we're screening and vetting everyone. Well, very limited. Oh, this one I also love. Now, Years ago, back in 1970, I owned a travel agency. And back then, anywhere you needed to go, you needed a visa. You had to provide identification, that uh, legitimate identification recognized by the government. Uh, you had to prove that you had certain vaccinations in order to travel to certain countries. But in order to get on an also plane, you still had to present a valid ID. This is addressed in this bill. They're making TSA to certify that the individual has valid identification, and that does not include a warrant issued by DHS. It doesn't include all this little funny paperwork that this Biden administration is now giving to people. You needed a valid, recognized ID, and if not, TSA must collect the person's biometrics and then try to identify that individual, whether they're good or not. I like it. Yeah, it, it, a couple of different things. One, Americans are just floored when they learn that, okay, we have to show a passport or a driver's license to get through TSA, but you're telling me this illegal alien who showed up here, broke our law, and doesn't have ID on them can board the plane with the ICE warrant? I mean, it's you couldn't make it up. Um, and, and it also recall back to pre-9-11 when we had uh, aliens who overstayed their visas and uh, hijacked planes. And the result of mm -hmm. that was the Real ID Act, which said, okay, states, you need to get your act together with regard to driver's licenses. They need to have uh, certain features and they, the um, duration of a driver's license for a temporary alien needs to expire when the alien's visa expires. And states drag their feet and drag their feet, and it just got extended, extended, extended. It's still not final right now. And, you know, meanwhile, we have the FBI Director Christopher Wray testifying this week of very real threats of terrorist attacks here in the U.S. I mean, we, we say people's memories are short, but really, we are back to pre-9-11 posture. We are. We are. And it's really outrageous. And various sections make different agencies, including DHS, uh, re responsible to reporting to Congress within a certain time period, to formulating plans and telling Congress what those plans are. And there's so many great things in here. At one point, they're saying no funds are to be authorized to DHS for alternatives of detention or, I love this, electric vehicles. 
<laughs> all that everyone realizes, yeah, the electrical vehicles are. No, 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 Congress, you can't give them money to buy something that no one's going to use or be able to use because if we lose power, <clears throat> you can't use your vehicle. Hello. Right, right. Yeah, unfortunately, one of uh, DHS's priorities is uh, climate change, of course. It is prominent on their DHS home uh, webpage, homepage, and it has been ever since they took office. So all the wrong priorities. Laura. Yeah, and also, no, hey. COVID vaccines are not mandatory in, in this legislation also. There's so much good in there. Go ahead, Curtis. Yes, um do you think Biden's reasoning for um, restoring some of the border wall had to do with budgetary um, priorities that were already set before he took office? Or was he trying to um, save face and knew he no, had I, to put that up? He um, He's doing it because that's how Congress directed the money back in for fiscal year 2019. Uh, surprisingly, Biden even admitted on camera, he said, I tried to get around this, uh, but I couldn't, given how it was written by Congress. And this is the lesson Congress needs to learn. Do it again. Direct money to ICE to find the national security threats right now and detain them. Direct money to CBP to build the wall, to uh, use expedited removal, et cetera. Um, you can't just hand money over to DHS in this administration and hope that true border security will happen. It hasn't for the past nearly three years. So Congress needs to be very specific. Use this money to do X. You may not use the money to do Y. Absolutely, absolutely. There's so many good things in here. Uh, they even address asylum and the visas, as you say. What are the prerequisites for asylum? And they narrowed it down to a very fine thing. I'm sorry. Simply because you broke your toenail coming on over does not mean that you deserve asylum. If your family is threatened to be massacred by the reigning government, yeah, you need asylum. So they really did define exactly what a visa application, even employment uh, applications, and they limited it and time limited it. And if they violate that, then they're subject to fine and jail. So there's penalties in here, and there are also rewards in here uh, for, like, bonuses to retain uh Border Patrol agents, uh, certain things to do to help increase the numbers, mandating a certain amount of staffing, a certain amount of training and hours. There's a lot of good in this bill. And I'm encouraging my listeners, get a hold of your representative in Congress and tell them to fund this bill and get it out there. God bless them. Yeah, it, it is really a great bill. Staff who've worked on the Hill for many years were overjoyed when uh, the House passed it back in May, and now we need the Senate to pass it and get it to uh, Biden's desk. There's a lot of opportunities right now for Congress to get this over the finish line uh, when they are considering uh, spending bills both to uh, keep the government funded but also uh, these supplementals. I mean, there's just multiple vehicles moving uh, but it's very important that all of HR2 be attached, not water it down to just, you know, a few parts, as, as many, unfortunately, in Congress are discussing. Um, we are, yeah. Our border is truly on fire right now. Uh, Congress needs to wake up and act like it. 
Now, what I also loved is that I saw several sections in here where states and municipalities can sue the federal government or certain agencies within the federal government, depending upon what the circumstance is. So California, not California, Texas is right in suing DHS or, or the government because of the poorest border. New Mexico can do this. Even South Carolina can do that if we feel that the government is not upholding the provisions of this H.R. 2 Secure the Border Act. And I got to tell you a personal story. Um, a friend of mine, she's now had passed away, uh, but she was working and she had to lock her purse in the car because she wasn't allowed to bring it with her. And someone broke into the car, stole her identification. They turned out and they found who ended up doing it, who happened to have been an illegal immigrant, had used her Social Security number fraudulently. That provision is in this bill. She would have been far better protected with this bill had it existed back then than when she was at the time. Yeah, identity fraud is a big part of illegal immigration to further their stay here and and, uh, allow them to get work authorization and and other downstream benefits. So um, such fraud should really be taken more seriously. And unfortunately, uh, for too many years, it's just kind of been shrugged off as, well, you know, it's just part of illegal immigration. <laughs> well, that's that's how we get in this sort of mess when you uh, downplay <laughs> such things. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna have a blast. I've never done something like this before, so I have no idea what I'm going to be facing. But Mark Tapscott said he's going to definitely make sure he meets me uh, when they have the press conference on Wednesday morning. And I know I'm finally going to meet your friend Hannah Davis. She's part of the Corporate oh, yeah. Fair now after working with you, and she's been on the show so many times with us. It's such a pleasure with her always. So I'm looking forward to meeting her, and maybe you might pop in just to say hi. Who knows? Happy to. <laughs> well, the fair will turn around and go, wow, this little person, yeah, this little person from South Carolina, we pulled the name out of the hat. She knows these people. <laughs> so I'm going to have fun. Well, Mark Tapscott already said he's going to warn the hill that I'm coming. (laughs) So it'll be a blast. Well, you know, Laura, you're always welcome back on the show. There's so much we have to do to help to secure our nation from the inside out and outside in. And uh, this Secure the Border Act is a perfect tool to do that. And, again, I'm encouraging my listeners and everyone out there to get involved and contact your congressperson and say, Fund the bill in its entirety, not piecemeal. God bless you, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Take care. It's our pleasure. Check check out Laura Reese over there at Heritage Foundation and check out the great articles at The Daily Signal. Uh, They do wonderful work. And make sure you make a donation to Heritage. I make a monthly donation over there. So become a member of Heritage Foundation and make a donation. And also make sure you subscribe to the Epic Times. Well, I'm sorry, Mark. Mark. Epoch Times. He yells at me every time. Um, Yeah, Epoch. Yeah. So I'm gonna when I come back uh, on the show Friday, I probably have stories to tell. Um, But we also have some other great guests lined up. I haven't secured the exact times and dates yet, uh, but I got them knocking at the door, going, "Get this person on." Matter of fact, Jim Huddleston wants to come back on. He's got a new song out there also, uh, which is probably going to drive all the the left crazy. Knowing Jim. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, so we, we've got a lot to do, a lot of work here to do, and I hope that we give you a good stepping stone uh, when you're out there with your friends and relatives and saying, hey, listen, 
These are important issues and get involved. As I say, politics are all local. Start locally and work your way on up, whether it's dog catcher, councilman, school board member, all the way on up to the White House. So you've got to be involved. Otherwise, we will have a nation that we're going to lose. Get involved. Only 10% fought for this nation's liberty, and we need just 10% to keep in the fight to retain it. But that's my preach for today, and that's all we got for today, Curtis. That's the end. Yeah, it's been very enlightening, our guest today. And I look forward to next week's guest. Yep, and we should have our webpage back up and running uh, by Tuesday, I'm hoping. I'm going to be talking to the web designer who's rebuilding the site from the ground up. That's why it's been down for a couple of weeks here. And he's been doing a lot of hard work. We've got a couple of glitches left to work out tomorrow. Uh, So I'm taking my day off to be working with him to get the website back up, and it's going to look fantastic. All new features will link to Substack. It will link to all the other places that we broadcast over, whether it's iHeart, iTunes, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, SHR Media. Everything will all be there, one touch Mm -hmm. for you to go and find. Uh, Our blog, everything will be up on the page. And uh, hopefully I'll start with a email out. You can have an e- join the email list to get a heads up on when the shows are going to be broadcasted. I currently do have one, but it's limited to certain people. So I'm going to open it up to everyone out there listening so you can join the email list once I get the website up. And Tuesday's hopefully launch day, launch day. So that's all we got. And I'm going to leave everyone with my friend Gary Pecorella, uh, his song, Save America. So for now, I will say good night and God bless. I'm praying for this land I love, America, America, the home of the free. But there are people making plans. To change America They've no respect for her What matters most to me That's why I stand for the flag And I kneel at the cross Long for the friends I have loved and lost In that God bless America and the red, white, and blue.